0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Nevin Neal. Exodus 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? He cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God... And wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and three score and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So as I said in the introduction, as we spoke of it, they've just rejoiced for the great things God has done. Logically speaking, you would think if you came, you just came to a difficult spot where there was no solution, the army behind you, the Red Sea in front of you, and God did a miracle. He parted the Red Sea. Their literal physical feet had walked across, not on ankle-deep or knee-deep water. The Bible says dry ground. You know what dry ground means? Dry ground. If God can part a Red Sea, He can dry muddy ground, and He did. And they walked across on... Dry ground. You would think that would register as if God can part the Red Sea, he can do anything. Well, they get across the water, and I I have some things that stand out to me in my Bible today and this season of my life. I was reading the other day of the disciples in Mark chapter 6 in the storm on the sea. And when Jesus came, they perceived he was a spirit. He was not a spirit, he was Jesus. He was the same as he had always been. But their circumstances changed their perspective. It changed their perception of God. It changed their perception. Jesus had just uh, had just fed probably fifteen to twenty thousand people with five loaves and two fishes. Why be afraid? Because their circumstances were difficult. And may I say this: uh, our circumstances really don't make us as much as prove us. Well, God says He brought these people here to prove them they had just rejoiced if you and i had heard miriam and moses and the children of israel just a, a three days earlier we would have said wow those people love god so much i mean they thank him and they praise him and they're talking about how good god is what a worshipful people people that love the lord they're worshiping god in spirit and in truth and you and i would have said they are wonderful folks But all of a sudden, circumstances changed, and oh boy, what was in their heart came out. What happened is God proved them there. And by the way, the entire Old Testament economy is about God proving mankind. He said, if you'll obey me, same thing he says here, if you'll obey me, I'll not curse you. But all the curses came anyway. Do you realize the diseases that were on Egypt ended up on Israel later? Why? Because they did not have the ability to live up to God's standards without a Savior. That The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, the book of Galatians tells us. And so, here we find this account, this historical account, in that dispensation of the law, and God was doing the same thing with them that He's doing today. Though I believe the greatest task in seeing someone get saved is convincing them they need to be. Most people, every man does that which is right in his own eyes, the Bible says, and every way of man is right in his own eyes. Meaning, I did it and I concluded it was right, so it must be. Well, then why do I need a Savior if I can always do what's right? Are you with me this morning? God brought them here and allowed this circumstance to prove them, to bring to light who they really were and what they really needed. We'll see three things out of this text this morning as we focus on the nation of Israel and we focus on what God did with them and bring to light the truth today that as much as they needed a physical tree and some physical water so that the bitter could be made sweet, even so we need spiritually the tree or the cross of Christ to do the same thing for us. And I believe that's exactly what God was doing. He was giving them an object lesson. We'll get around to that. I'll, we'll come around. You'll see that God brought them here to prove them and to give them an object lesson. May I say this? God speaks through the Scripture, but may I say He'll work in your life in conjunction with what He says in the Scripture. I believe personally the Lord still teaches through object lessons today. He still does. He st- I say this all the time, my wife, my, the, the Lord still teaches through parables. I'll be out in the woods hunting and all of a sudden some thought comes to my mind and then some scripture verse and something I just experienced in the timber teaches me something about a need I have spiritually. Well, tell me God does not use circumstances to teach us. I've said this. Many people went into 2020 saying 2020 vision. That, that makes sense to me. That, that works. But we have a lot better vision coming out of 2020 than we did going in. At least we ought to. Don't tell me God does not use circumstances to teach us. And if anything, what we need today is circumstances that allow our eyes to see who we truly are and what our true need is. Amen? I believe that happened to these folks here. I want you to try to step into the shoes of these people. I think it's wise to do that when we read our Bibles. God gives us a historical, factual account so that we can understand what was going on. Many times I read the Bible and I get frustrated with people in the Bible. How could you be so stupid? That's twice I've used that word today. I don't normally use the word stupid so much. Anyway, twice. We find here that you, you throughout the book of Exodus, you go, how? How could God just part the Red Sea and you're rejoicing one day, and three days later, you don't even know if he's with you or what he's doing. Until I think about my own life, and I say, I've been there before. Yes? So let's go ahead and let's break this down in a few parts. Verse 22, we find the difficulty of the people of God. There's a difficulty. So they just, verse 21, And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Verse 23, and when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. A few things I want you to see in verse 22 about their difficulty. Number one, they're in a desolate place. That's what it means to be in a wilderness. There's nothing around. It's... It's it's barren. There's, there's no houses. There's no no wells dug. It's wilderness. It is, it's exactly what we think of wilderness being. It's a desolate place. You know, life, and when God's leading you, God leads us at times through desolate times. Times where life is dry. The desolation brought some dryness. Psalm 56, verse 1, I believe it is, uh, the Bible, uh, Psalm, Psalm 56. I think it's Psalm 56.1, uh, 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 the, the, the psalmist says he would seek the Lord early because he's in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. There are times when life is not quenching our thirst, spiritually speaking, and such it was for them. They're in a desolate place. They're no longer near Egypt. They're on out into the wilderness, so it's desolate. There's no one around. There's no, uh, no uh, infrastructure, if you would. There's nothing to look to, man-made. It's just what God created. They're in the wilderness. It's a desolate place. Uh, by the way, it is in these places that it is proven whether or not we'll look to God. I believe, may I just say this to the to Christians this morning, if you're going to walk with God if you're going to follow the Lord, He is going to lead you to times where there are not people that you can look to for help. You're going to have to look to Him. Now, God uses people, and I understand that. We don't want to discount that God uses people. The nation of Israel is there, but you got to understand, these people have been dependent on others for years to tell them what to do, to feed them. They were slaves. They had been slaves. All they knew was bondage. All they knew was someone else telling them what to do, when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat, what to eat, how much to eat, and God wants them to learn to be dependent on Him. There's a transition point. After you get saved, you've been living by your impulses and the devil's been running your life. And you've got to learn how to listen to God and let Him provide for you and let Him... So that what that's going to mean is there's got to be times when there's no one to tell you but God. When there's no one to provide for you but Him. And that can feel very lonely because you can't see God and you can't physically hear Him and you can't physically touch Him. So you've got to learn to perceive Him by faith. And so they're in a desolate place. It's a difficult time because there's no physical, tangible help in sight. Now, I mean, I tell you this, I believe America as a nation, I don't like preaching to the country because I'm not that's not who I'm preaching to. But we live in America, and I believe we're entering into a desolate time. We just went through a time where a lot of Christians thought their help was in a man and found out that men are weak. And that when Psalm says not to put your confidence in princes, God meant it. So you know what we got to do now? Instead of churches looking to a politician to deliver us, we might have to get on our knees and ask God to help us. Amen? It might be a desolate time, but if that causes us to have to look to the Lord, praise God for it. I believe we are by nature prone to look to the physical, tangible for help. We'll look to money before we look to God just by nature. We'll look to the relatives before we look to God. That's our nature. So how does God break us of that nature? He has to get us where those things aren't available. He has to allow us to be in desolate places where, Lord, I can't get in touch with this person right now. I would normally call them for advice and I can't get in touch with them. It's middle of the night and I can't call them right now. They're not available. Lord, I might be able to go here normally with this health problem or this financial problem, but all my resources are cut off. Someone says, I don't want a time like that. Oh, hey, hey, that's when God can help us when we can't get help from the physical tangibles. I believe that's what the desolate aspect. They're in a wilderness. Number two, it's dry. What they need is not around. I mean, they're looking for water. The Bible says they go three days in the wilderness and found what? Not a little water. No water. Now you tell me, how long can you live without water? About three days. You might do a little more than that. You're doing good. You know what what this is saying to us? This is not just discomfort. It's dangerous. You know, you go a day without water. You're going to be very uncomfortable. I'm I'm drinking water like it's going out of style this morning. I I need it. I'm drinking a lot of water because it, it helps me feel better. But I promise you, I'm not dying of dehydration. Give me three days without any. And all of a sudden, my mind's not clear. How many of you have ever gone two or three days without sleep? Now try going two or three days without water. Do you think everybody was in a good mood? You got little ones that are crying because they don't have water. You got teenagers that are grumbling because they don't have water. And you got adults who are grumbling. because Look, when, our phys, when we need something physically, you cannot disconnect the physical and the spiritual. It's all, our spirit is housed in our body. And so what happens is physical things reveal the condition of the spirit, the inner man, and what happens is I'm trying to think of three days and you got probably, it's estimated six million people, no water. Well, how would you like to be Moses? You believe you followed God, you believe you're leading people where they need to go, and you know that the most basic element of life is, it's not that they don't have shoes, it's not that they don't have clothes, it's not that they don't have gold and silver, The Egyptians had poured all that on, but friends, you can't drink gold. (laughs) So all that means, nothing without water. And so they're without water. And so then it's a dry time. The very thing they needed to survive is being cut off. I'm just trying to say, and I'm not going to excuse their sin for one moment, I am trying to say I can empathize with why they would murmur. You're not talking about we wish we had Kool-Aid instead of water. They had nothing, and if they don't get something, they're going to die. And Moses is claiming that God did this. The same God that turned water into blood, the same God that killed Pharaoh's firstborn, the same God that brought locusts, and the same God that brought frogs, and the same God that parted the Red Sea is the same God that would lead you in a place in life where you need something and you can't find it. Right? Same God. See, one of the reasons we get offended at God is we we don't understand Him according to His Word. God was working in their lives. But you know what? It's easy to see God parted the Red Sea. Oh, God is wonderful and great and good. But did God's character change in three days? No. But theirs needed to be revealed. See, and so there was a place of desolation, a place of dryness, and therefore it was a place of danger. Three days, no water. They're in danger of death. Now, here's the way this could be processed. God promised to take us into the land of Canaan. We know He's going to provide water. You could process it that way. God said he would lead us out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. It's hard to lead dead people into Canaan land, so he's obviously going to give us water or give us the ability to survive without it. You remember when Abraham was told to offer Isaac? I, he reasoned it this way. Well, you can't, and this doesn't spell this out, but this is, Hebrews bears out this way reason. Dead people don't start nations, so God must be willing, planning to raise Isaac from the dead. If he told me to kill him, I know God won't break his own word. So I'll kill him and I'll trust God to raise him up from the dead. That's a rare occasion to see someone trust God like that. But that's the way we're supposed to trust him. What God wanted from the children of Israel was faith. For them to say, you said you would lead us into Canaan land. And therefore dead people can't go in. We know we're not going to die. We're very uncomfortable. We know that we feel like we're dying, but God won't let us die He'll either Look, Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights without water. So did Moses. So did Elijah. Do you know anybody that can do that and survive? I heard of a man in Africa. He tried to do that. He died. You're going to fast 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no water. You better know it's the will of God or you're going to die because it takes a miracle to survive. I'm trying to say here they, they were in danger, and that brings us, number two, to their disappointment. So on the third day, after three days, verse 23, and when they came to Mara, somebody said, Water! And you think about this. You know if you don't have water, you're going to die. And then you finally said, look, I wonder if a lot of them are thinking, oh, we were so stupid. We should have just trusted God. Look, here's water. And they, ah, it was bitter. Now, I don't think just, it seems to me, not just bitter to the taste. The Bible says they could not drink it. It seems to me it was poisonous. They. It's like the old cowboy movie. You know, the guy comes along and he takes a big old gulp before he sees the skull and the crossbones sticking by the pool of water. Here they, Ah, you you tell me, you tell me. Let's just be honest this morning. You've been three days without water. Your children are without water. Your neighbors are without water. Moses says, God is leading. And when you finally get water, you can't drink it. What does it look like to you? Any reasonable human being would say, God brought us out here to kill us. He brought us out here to kill us. You say, that's not right, Pastor. I said reasonable. I didn't say righteous. Any person putting two plus two said, all God did is He tricked us. He got us out of Egypt. And by the way, you know what that? You know what they said over and over? God brought us into the wilderness to kill us. I guarantee you, you walk with God long enough, you're going to come into seasons of your Christian life and you're going to think, God, are you trying to destroy us? What are you doing? It seemed like you were leading. We saw you do great things. We saw you provide. But now... If you don't intervene, what I see encroaching into our lives is going to destroy us. We're going to we're going to flunk out. We're not going to be able to serve you and do what you said. It almost seems like you set us up to kill us. <laughs> again, I will not sympathize with sin, but every one of us should be able to relate to what they did. And so then they come to the waters of Mara. The word Mara means bitter. In verse twenty three, again, when they came to Mara. They could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Now, let's just pause for a second. Did God check out of foreknowledge for a little bit when he led them from the Red Sea to Marah? Was Moses the appointed leader? Did he lead them that way? So had God led them by the hand of Moses to bitter waters? So God knowing that the water... May I say this? There are times in life that the the life we drink is going to have a bitter taste. 2020 had some bitter pills in it. Can we agree? had some bitter pills. You know what those bitter pills are intended to do? Did God know 2020 was coming? Couldn't he have warned all of us ahead of time, look what's coming, prepare? Well, it could have. But I would say this, when we come and life, the waters of life are bitter if we follow the Lord of those bitter waters, we just need to pay attention. And so then they get to the waters. They're disappointed. The waters of Mar, they're bitter. And then we see the woe of murmuring, verse 24, the people, and the people murmured against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, me just you and I can sit back and say, those rotten people, (laughs) why are they blaming Moses? Because he's the leader. That's why. The fact of the matter is, from a human fleshly perspective, their murmuring was reasonable. May I say this: Our sin is all too often reasonable to us. I just want to ask you something. When they murmured and said against Moses, "What should we drink?" Was that sinful?" I've explained to you, it's reasonable. Was it sinful? Have I got a verse? Thank you. Do all things without what? Murmurings and disputings. So let's try it again. Was it sinful to murmur? Were they thirsty? Were they in danger of dying? Were they in the center of God's will? Then when we murmur, at our circumstances, we're running right in the will of God. We're in sin. The murmuring was sin. And you know what? The reason they murmured is they thought that was the reasonable thing to do. But it was still sin. And so we see their difficulty and their disappointment. I want us to understand something. Go back to Exodus chapter 1. What had the bondage of Egypt done to the Israelites' hearts? Anybody know the effect it had on them? The bondage, the slavery. Remember, they were were made to work with rigor, so when Moses and Aaron came in and said, "From God, let my people go," Pharaoh said, "You're taking them from their work. You're delivering them from their labor." And so he said, "Now they're going to have to do twice as much. If I remember correctly, I have to do twice as much. But we're not going to give them straw to make brick. They got to go out and find it." So the bondage had already been. Hundreds of years. They'd been in Egypt 430 years, and most of that, much of that, had been bondage. The Egyptians having them do all their work for them. Build. They were building the uh, the 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 great palaces of the pharaoh and all those things. They're doing all the hard labor. And Exodus chapter one verse fourteen says, "And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage." Talking about the Egyptians over the Israelites. Let's go back to verse 13. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. Verse 14 of Exodus 1. And they made their lives what? Bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. Um, All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. So what was the condition of the children of Israel? Through bondage. They're bitter. They're bitter. Sometimes the Lord has to allow us to drink what we are so he can help us. You with me? The Bible says, as in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. It's interesting to me, they came to a pool of water, and it is there they got a taste of themselves. How I many of you know what murmuring sounds like? You know what murmuring is? Can I, just state it? I believe this based on what this text tells us. Murmuring is the reflection of a bitter heart. I believe bitterness is one of the most subtle sins known to man. That's why Hebrews 12.15 says, But take heed, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, and thereby many be defiled. You know what? Out of bitterness, these people murmured many times, out of bitterness, they made a golden calf. Right off the bat, one of the first things God is showing them is that your heart has been made bitter. May I say, sin is a taskmaster. People say things like this to me. I'm free to use whatever language I want. Are you free to stop? Because if not, you're a slave. I'm free to watch whatever I want. Are you free to quit? I'm free to drink whatever I want. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm free to put on whatever I want. Are you? Are you? Are you free to live a life that pleases God? Because if not, the Bible says in John chapter 8... Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You know what sin will do to you? It'll make you bitter. Because sin makes promises that it doesn't keep. You know what the world will do to make you bitter? The, Egypt is a type of the world. You live for earthly things, you'll think something like this. Well, if I, if I can go out and get me a good career and make, make good money and become somebody, boy, it would be so fulfilling. And you go out and you do it. And you get some of the things you thought you wanted to save your money to buy. And maybe you succeed a little bit and you find out, well, that just didn't quite, that just didn't quite satisfy You know what happens when someone mistreats you over and over and over and over? It'll make you bitter. And there's some people here, they were bitter. Exodus 1.14 says so. They were made bitter through bondage. You're a bondman to sin long enough, and it'll make you bitter. You say, I'm ready to stop building these bricks. I'm ready to stop building a life that's going to fall apart. And the taskmaster says, no, you're not you're a master you're going to do it again but I don't want to do it again it grieves my soul but you have no choice anybody that's been a slave to sins we call it addiction it's called slavery because sin says do this and we say but I'm tired of it, it makes, I'm weary with it my conscience is wore down I'm, I feel guilty and I feel used and I just wish I could stop and the taskmaster says but you can't because you belong to me That's the condition these people came to Mara in. They had not been living free lives. They had been bondmen for years and years. All they knew was serving Egyptians. And those Egyptians are a type of sin and Satan that says, you've got to do this. And we say, no, 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 not again. And then you do. Paul said, uh, he said, uh, for to will is present with me. Talking about his natural state. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He says, I'm willing to do what's right. In my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm given to doing what's right. I've decided to do what's right. But the law of sin and death has enslaved me. You go out and tell an unsaved person, just do right. That's like telling the wall to talk to you. You cannot do right until Jesus Christ lives in your soul. Now, when He does, He gives you the ability to do what's right. Now, I'm going to show you something. Were the children of Israel free? But had they learned how to use their freedom yet? Now, if you're here this morning, you've been born again. Friend, you're free. But sin will make you bitter. And I just want to see something this morning. They come and the woe of murmuring reveals a bitter heart in them. God is having to teach them. He's washing them, cleansing them of the old way. That's that's the picture for us anyway. And so then, their difficulty, their disappointment. Number three, their deliverance. Verse 25, they murmured. Got a question. They murmured to Moses, would you pray for them? Moses loved them. (laughs) You remember God had called Moses to help these people and deliver them. And he's a picture of Jesus Christ. He's just a picture and a type because he's a sinner like you and I who needed a Savior. But he is a type of Jesus Christ. And when they murmured because the way was bitter, the water was bitter, then Moses immediately doesn't sit there and say, You bunch of rotten scoundrels. He goes directly to God. He goes directly to God. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. It is referred to in this text that here God healed the waters of Marah. He healed the waters. And the fact that he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, tells me what this water is all about. As I said before, I believe it's an object lesson to say what I've done for the water, I can do for you. I've healed bitter waters. You've tasted it. Now you've got a taste of what you are. And then you tasted how sweet. Let me ask you something. Bitterness, in dealing with bitterness with people, I said it's one of the most subtle sins. And in trying to help people, I find it the most difficult sin to help people with. Because most folk don't think they're bitter. That's just the way it works. Are you bitter? No. I think you're bitter. I am not bitter. I rest my case. I've heard that multiple times. That's why I say it in preaching so much. I've heard it from numerous persons where it's kind of like the doctor. You go in and you say, I got this symptom, this symptom, this symptom. He's been doctoring for a while and he says, oh, yeah, this is what's going on. No, it is not. Okay. Bitterness, boy, it's, it's, it's a subtle one. May I say this? It comes out of us. Everyone around us who drinks of our life tastes it. But sometimes we have to taste it to know what we are. What happens at the, at the, the waters of Marah is, number one, thankfully they had an intercessor. Moses goes to the Lord. The Bible says, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Moses says, Lord, they're murmuring to me. I need to talk to you. What do I do? Why well, They've had no water, and now they do. It's not drinkable what do we do? And the Lord says, how I mean you say, oh, bitter water, there's a tree. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that, would you? Therefore, there's spiritual significance and you say, what, ki- what kind of tree? That doesn't matter. What kind of tree? Was there medicine in the tree? No, it's a spiritual analogy and a lesson for us. And so there was intercession made. May I say this this morning? If you're like the waters of Mara, you're like the waters of Mara, can can you just stop and take stock for a minute? Maybe, maybe you've been drinking some bitter waters and maybe what God is trying to say is you are like what you're drinking. You are the bitter waters. There's bitter waters coming from within you. You know what the first thing you need is an intercessor. You need someone to go to God on your behalf so that he can minister from God to you. Do you realize that's exactly who Jesus Christ is? 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What Israel needed was a solution for the bitterness they were ingesting. And what they had, first and foremost, was a mediator, someone who was in good standing with God when they were not. That's exactly what we need. We have been drinking of sin. It's made us bitter. And when you put your trust... You know what? The children of Israel had trusted Moses enough to follow him across the Red Sea. That's a picture of new birth. This morning, if you're saved, Jesus Christ is not trying to be a mediator for you. He's not trying to be an intercessor for you. He is. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. If you have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ yet, you have no, you have no right to talk to God. Our sins, the Bible says in Isaiah 59, have separated between us and our God. So that His face is against us. His ear's not short, it's not deaf that it cannot hear, and His hand's not short that it cannot say, but our sins have separated us. And I'm trying to say this this morning. Moses was the first recourse. They complained to Moses just like often we complain to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I have trusted you. I obeyed you. Look how it turned out. And we don't say that, but we say it. Lord, I trusted you. I found in the Bible that you said do this and do this and you told me how to think about my home and how to think about my life and to search the scriptures and read the Bible and pray. And I've been reading my Bible and I've been praying and it's not working. you been there before? Lord, I'm doing what you're saying, but it's not getting better. Things are getting worse. Instead of getting help, I'm just getting frustrated. I go into the Bible. I read my Bible. I heard preaching. You're supposed to study to show yourself approved unto God. I've been trying to do that. I've heard watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. I've been watching and praying, and I'm still entering into temptation. You know what we're doing? We're murmuring. We're saying, Lord, you led me, but it ain't working. Sometimes as parents we say, Lord, I read in Your Word that I'm supposed to train my children this way and in rod and reproof, and Lord, we've been doing that. And instead of it having the effect on them we want, instead of them uh, repenting and trusting Christ, they're meaner than the devil. It doesn't work. Lord, You told me to submit to my husband, and I have, and he's been honorier than ever. You told me to love my wife, and she is never so unappreciative of my love for her as before. You know what we're saying to the Lord Jesus? You led me in the way, and it's a bitter way. You know what He's saying to us? No, the bitterness is within. He'll let us drink a pool of bitter water so that we realize we need the tree to heal us. you tracking with me this morning? We often have to taste of those bitter waters and that gets us speaking to our intercessor. And I mean to say once again, if you've not come to the belief, the conviction that Jesus is truly the Son of God and only He can deliver you from sin and hell, then friend, you need that today. You need to believe the Bible. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you are trusting anything or anyone outside of Jesus Christ alone, you're not yet on your way to heaven. You're still in bondage in Egypt. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And so then they had an intercessor, Moses. Romans 8, let me read a couple of verses to you. Repeatedly, Jesus is spoken of as our intercessor, the one... That goes to God on our behalf, and we don't have a right to, but we have an intercessor who intercedes on our behalf. First John again said to us uh, these things right we write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. Listen verse seventeen, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be also glorified together. Uh, and he goes on and speaks of, uh, again, verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness in our spirit with the children of God. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. The Bible goes on to speak throughout Romans 8 of the intercessory work he does with us. Hebrews 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 25, uh, talks about the fact that he is able to save us unto the uttermost, for his, uh, he makes intercession to God for us. Let me turn there and read that. Hebrews 7, 25. Romans 8 talks about in verse, uh, uh, I believe it's in verse 20. Let me read it before we get to Hebrews very quickly. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 26 likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know uh, not what we should pray for as we ought sounds like the children of israel but the spirit maketh its, itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered Romans 8:27 and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of god now hebrews 7:25 hebrews 7:25 The Bible says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Even as Moses went to the Lord and said, Lord, what are they going to drink? Our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as our intercessor, goes to the Father and says, Give me what they need. And God the Father ministers to us what we need by God the Son, by God the Spirit, so that we receive those things we need. So, in their deliverance, back to Exodus 15, first we see there was intercession made. Moses interceded, even as Christ intercedes on our behalf. Number two, illumination was given. God says, verse 26, uh, verse 25, And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. He said, Here's your solution. There's water. The water's bitter and it can't be drunk, but here's a tree which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. He did not remove bitterness from the water or filter it. He added something to those bitter waters and it changed its very nature. He added something to it. He, he put something in the mix that was missing prior and it changed that bitter water to sweet. May I say this, a God that can change bitter to sweet has the ability to change people. Bitter people don't get better on their own. You say, well, "How oh, they go to psychology?" No, that just tells you why you're bitter. It doesn't tell you how to stop being bitter. I've seen it many times. Psychologists often do a good job of saying, "Okay, you're having these hard feelings and these hard feelings and these hard feelings. Did this, 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 and happen?" Somebody says, "Yes." How'd you know? Well, this is a pattern of humanity. These things happen, and people get bitter over them. They may not use the word bitter. And they say, "So what we have to do is manage this." So. When you have thoughts of that and they give you advice, what happens is though it, does, it changes the mechanism of your life, but it doesn't change your heart. What God says, look here, he did not make bitter water taste sweet. He made it sweet. I Meaning he made it good. He made that which was death life. And so then uh, illumination was given. He said, yeah, here's a tree. And when Moses had cast the tree in the water, there was implementation. The tree there present wasn't enough. It had to make contact with the bitter water. It had to be put into the water. And you say, where are we going with this? Well, the interpretation is there in verse 26. And said, God speaking to him, If thou wilt diligently hearken uh, to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, and I've underlined this in my Bible, I am the Lord that healeth In essence, what the Lord is saying is what I've just done for the whole of water, I'm willing to do for you. I'm the God that heals you. We hear of healing. What do we need as people healed from? We need healed from what sin has done to us. Go to Isaiah chapter 53 if you would. Isaiah chapter 53. Our sin, the sins of others, the sin curse on the world wounds and damages us. Isaiah chapter 53, these verses we know oh so very well. The Bible says in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Wounded on what? The Bible calls it in Galatians the tree. He became a curse for us. For Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You remember, what was thrown in the waters was the tree. So surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does the end of verse 5 say? By his stripes we are healed. God says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Remember what made the Egyptians bitter? Sin. What made them like the water they were drinking? Sin. What cured the water? The tree. You know, cure you? The cross. Not a better life. Not a moral life. God told them, you keep my commandments. They couldn't fulfill what he told them to do. What they could do is accept God's provision for the bitterness of their soul and let God heal them. I am the Lord that healeth thee. The interpretation is found throughout the New Testament. Go now if you to Acts 13. Acts 13. We wouldn't want to just use our imagination and say, Oh, this looks like that would make a good illustration. No, this is God's intent for Exodus 15. I'm certain of that. The, the tree and bitter waters made the bitter waters sweet. May I say this? Until what Jesus Christ did on the cross is accepted fully in your heart like the tree was thrown in the bitter waters, you'll not be healed. God does not need you to do something for Him. If you're here this morning, you've never been born again. You say, I think I have. Well, you need to know that. God does not need you to do something for Him. He needs you to know that you need Him to make you new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a... New creature, all things are passed away, behold, all things become new. How does that happen? How does someone become a new new creature? We think, well, by establishing good habits. That's our natural way of thinking. Good luck with that one. You may be able to establish good habits when people are watching, maybe. And then by and by, you're the same as ever you were and your conscience will eat you up because you've convinced people you're a new creature and in your soul you know you're the same rotten, bitter soul you always were. The difference was not, hey, everybody scoop the water up, shake it real hard, pour it in a different pit, filter it through some bark. No, put the tree in the water, I fixed it. When the cross of Jesus Christ has the effect on your soul that is needed, that you realize, that cross happened because of my sin. He took my sin. He was wounded in my place. He bore my sin debt. Talking to a young one here recently, and I asked the young one, I said, now, they said they wanted to be saved. That's good. I said, do you deserve to go to hell? No. The tree is not in the waters yet. You with me? Until you can say what Jesus Christ took on that cross is what I deserve. I ask something You murmur against a God that made promises hundreds of years old and has kept everyone for hundreds of years, because you're without water for three days. Now, he's been keeping five, 600-year-old promises to you by plaguing your captors, by setting you free, by feeding you, parting the Red Sea for you, and you murmur against that God. Do you deserve anything less than death? I mean, let's be honest. How good had God been to these folk? And yet their hearts were bitter through bondage. And this morning, I'm trying to say to you this, the tree is the answer. In these bitter waters, God said, there's a tree. Take that tree, put it in the waters. This morning, you may say, I'm drinking bitter waters. Maybe God is saying, you are the bitter waters. Well, How do I change myself? You don't. You need to go and get a hold of what Jesus Christ did for you on the tree. Acts chapter 13, verse 29. May I say this? It was what he did for me on the tree that brought me to faith in him for the forgiveness of my sins. It was what he did for me on the tree that brought me to full surrender to his will for my life. Is what He did for me on the tree that compels me this morning to serve Him because He's worthy. It is that tree that can change a bitter soul into sweet water. Acts 13, 29. The Bible says this. Acts 13. Don't ever lose it, by the way. Don't ever lose sight of what Christ has done for you on the cross. Acts 13:29 uh, says, And though they found no cause of death in Him, speaking of Jesus, yet desired they Pilate that He should be slain, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. Now, if you would go to Galatians chapter 3, 13. I just want to see that the reference of the tree in Acts 15 is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. Galatians chapter uh, 3, verse 13. We're almost done this morning. Galatians 3, verse 13. The Bible says, verse 12, And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. I mean if you want to live by the law, you've got to keep all the law to live in them. You either keep all laws, if you're gonna keep if you're gonna live by keeping God's commandments, you've got to, you've got to do them all. If you're gonna keep the law, you've got to keep the law. However, verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. First Peter 2:24, first Peter 2:24. And I don't know the better text that fulfills the and shows the fulfillment of Exodus chapter 15 than this one right here in First Peter chapter 2. First Peter two uh, verse, let's back up just a little bit because it speaks of what our Savior did on the tree. It says in verse uh, four, 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, here's the curing of bitterness, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. What did Jesus? What did God say at that pool of Marah? I am the Lord that healeth thee. You know what the stripes of Jesus Christ on the tree are intended to do? Heal you of the death of sin that's been incorporated through bondage of sin. Verse 25, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Let me ask you this. If you had been in bondage and your parents had been in bondage and your grandparents had been in bondage and your great-grandparents had been in bondage and some guy says, follow me wherever I lead you, would you be a little reluctant? Would it be hard to follow a shepherd when you've been led by and ruled by a taskmaster? You have to be healed. There are people say, I don't know about this Christianity thing. I hear about take up your cross daily. I don't like serving. I don't like the idea of being a slave. No, no, this is freedom. See, God was was leading them out to lead them in to the blessed land of Canaan, the picture of the abundant Christian life. But they were going to have to learn that their healing, that God was their healer, that He was there to change their very nature. May I say this as much as a tree cut down and dropped in the waters of Mara changed its entire makeup; it made it from deadly to life-giving. It made it from bitter to sweet. Even so, the belief in the cross of Jesus Christ, when you accept what He did for you on the tree, it'll change you from bitter to sweet, from deadly to life-giving. There are those who were filled with hate and murder and now they're soul winners and lovers of God and people. What was the difference? Christ on the tree! That's the difference. You cannot put confidence in yourself, but in Him. And when the tree has its place on your heart... It makes bitter things sweet. Amen. Galatians 6.14, as we close. Galatians 6.14. This is what happened to Paul. Was Paul not a bitter pool of water? He went around persecuting Christians, throwing people in jail, uh, guilty of helping to kill even those who were serving Christ. And what happened? That bitter pool was made sweet through the tree. Galatians chapter 6. Paul explains. Verse 14. He says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the what? Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And says, Paul, you are, you've given your life to serve the Lord. You've been stoned and beaten just so people could hear the gospel and be saved. He says, oh, that's what Jesus did for me on the cross. What he did for me on the cross cleared my sin debt. He gave me forgiveness with God. It opened my eyes to see the sinner that I am. It's what Christ did. I'm, I can't take credit. I was a murderer until Christ saved me until the cross of Christ was implemented in my life by faith. I was a murderer and I thought I was doing God a favor and I was killing His people. He says, no, I can't glory in what I've done. Uh, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Don't you think at the bitter pool of Mara God was cutting ties with Egypt? Wasn't God showing His people I'm going to take care of you. And how did he do so? He showed him the tree. This morning, this application is multiplied in many different ways across this room. You're here this morning, and perhaps you have confidence in your fleshly effort. You think you're a good person. There is none good, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's no, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may be admired of people. You may be doing a good job in your life. You may be all sorts of things. But the fact of the matter is we're bondmen to sin until Jesus Christ sets us free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you should be free indeed. And what you need this morning is to realize you're like that bitter pool of water until the cross of Christ is accepted as your only payment for sin. You realize what He did for you. And by the way, it's not only what He did for you because He's living. It's what He does for you. May I say this, if you've never had a point where you sincerely believed God concerning Jesus Christ so much that you knew He was alive and you could talk to Him personally and say, Lord, I am a sinner and my sins put you on the tree and I'm asking for the forgiveness of my sins that you purchased there. You use the words you need to. But Christ paid your sin debt for you. You can't go pay it for yourself. That would be the first application. But I believe to many the application may be this morning, God's already saved you. But sin, because it was your nature that you were born with, has already left you bitter. You may may be a young person. You may be an adult. But sin is a master and bitters our soul. And maybe this morning God has already saved you, but you need to take a fresh look at the tree. Because Paul said, The love of Christ constraineth us. May I say this, this? If what Jesus literally did for you on the tree cannot compel your soul to serve Him, ooh, that's something's wrong there. Ask, am I really saved? If the, if what Christ did for you, you say, well, I'm not sure it's true, then how can you be saved? You with me? We believe God. We know it's true. <laughs> this morning you may be saying, you know what, I I don't know, life's been handing me some bitter pills. Maybe the Lord's trying to show you, you know what, I I, I want to make you sweet. And the way to be made from bitter to sweet is to go back to the tree. May I say this this morning, if your life is filled with grumbling and complaining, murmuring, God didn't save you to do that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Maybe this morning you say, oh, what a good thing to be reminded that the difference maker in my life is not the way I travel my journey, but the tree has been applied to my bitter soul.